0: From 1944 to 1945, the 52nd Lowland Division is fighting its way across Northwest Europe. The writing is on the wall, but it's also on the page. The Army Education Branch sends a newsletter out to thousands of men, all pulling together, pushing the enemy back. This newsletter is called The Lowlander. Hello, Marin.
1: Hello, hello. We are back again, looking at editions of the Lowlander that were sent out between the first and the seventh of January in nineteen forty-five.
0: Yes, this newsletter is something the men of the fifty-second Lowland Division would have been looking at every day as they make their way across Northwest Europe. Our job is to flip through the pages. It's one piece of double-sided paper per edition to pick out our favourite articles and generally work out what they're saying and why. Uh, so, what have we got going on this week, Marin?
1: Well, this week um, we've got Hogmanay has just passed, so it's pretty intense for, for just after a period of what would have been festive celebration back home. This is the week that sees the last surface engagement between the Allies and the Japanese in the Pacific. The Soviet Union is doubling down on preparations for what will eventually become the East Prussian Offensive. And Germany is up to its neck in the postponed but now imminent plans for Operation Platter, which was an attempt to get air superiority in the Low Countries during the rather stagnant stages of the Battle of the Bulge. And by the way, they've just issued a request for families to send in or send back any unwanted fighting materials, such as uniforms and steel helmets, which is a bit deep if you think about it for too long. Having said that, shall we find out where the jocks are? And tell us, um, where are the men of the 52nd Lowland Division? What's going on? It's got to be better news than that.
0: Well, we'll we'll find out. Um, Okay, so this week in the 52nd Lowland Division, they are actually in exactly the same positions they were, and they have been for the last couple of weeks. Okay. Um, So we talked last week there was a couple of big counterattacks, by the Germans, that's settled down now. Mm-hmm. And in fact, this week is is fairly quiet. Um, I guess if you want to have a really good description of what this week was like in the 52nd, I would refer you to uh, Peter White's book called "With the Jocks." And I've mentioned this loads of times before. And anybody who knows us knows that's kind of our thing. Yeah. And his uh, his chapter about when he's dug in in the woods around Triprat is really good at explaining what it was like, what the kind of things we were up to, the shelling, the patrolling, etc. Um, this, it's a fairly quiet uh, week for the division, but there is one big incident which kind of rocks everybody in the division. Everybody knows about it and is actually described in the book with the jocks. And that is a mine accident. Uh, and, and basically on the, the afternoon of the 7th of January, um, a platoon of soldiers from the 4th Battalion of Kings Own Scottish Borders, so Peter's uh, Battalion, they're out helping uh 241 company from the Royal Engineers to lay a minefield. Um, just just around about the the village of Tripsrat into the Tripsrat woods to to the east of them. Um, They're going to lay about 2,400 Hawkins grenades, which are kind of um, anti-tank mines. They're only fairly small, but combined as a combined weight of about a tonne of explosives. And somehow, um, we're not quite sure why, probably a handling incident, almost all of those those grenades, those landmines, go up in a huge explosion. And that explosion is heard for miles and miles and miles around. The shockwave is felt for miles around as well. And it actually kills 48 men. Mm -hmm. So all of the Royal Engineer Party and a good portion of the King's Own Scottish Borders platoon as well. Um, uh, So 48 of them are killed. And the explosion is so violent, it's so large, that there are only 14 discernible bits of body recovered from this from the area. There's no requirement for um, for medical attention because everybody has been wiped out. It's quite devastating. A couple of days after that, they actually have a memorial parade, a memorial service at Brunssum, which is a few miles um, to the west in, in the Netherlands, and it's attended by the um, by the officer commanding of the 52nd Lowland Division. Edmund Haeckel-Smith, and in fact, you can visit all those graves, all 48 of those graves, although most of them are combined graves with um, with two names on each headstone, at Brunson Cemetery uh, in the Netherlands.
1: Mm. When you go to a CWGC site or to a location, one of the things that hits you hardest is the equality in death. Mm-hmm. Every cemetery is laid out pretty much the same, and yeah. the yeah. Um, the Commonwealth War Graves Commission, there, there were reasons for doing this. It was well thought through at the time, but at Brunson, <laughs> you walk in off the street and it's co- quite enclosed and yep. then um you, you you get the lines of graves and as you walk down obviously you're looking across the headstones you're walking quite quickly and you're looking at the, the the regimental sigils at the top of each gravestone and then suddenly at the end on the left you get to these these markers and you realize there are multiple names on the yep. headstones and then you break. Oh yeah, I know why as
0: well. Yeah, and one of them, one of them is actually—it's the only combined two regiment one in, in the yeah. cemetery. There's um, a Corporal McBrown um, of the Kingston Scottish Borders, and there's a Sapper Copeland of the Royal Engineers, and they've actually got a joint headstone, and I'll put that picture up on the um, on the show notes or on the, on the Twitter feed for the page. It's actually it's quite poignant, and when you go there, it really is um, quite poignant. I mean, and of course, these are very few remains. Uh, that are actually buried there because the, the guys were actually vaporised. If any of you have seen um, Saving Private Ryan, at the end of Saving Private Ryan in the battle for the village of Rommel, they use a certain mine with a with a command wire. It's exactly that. That's exactly one. Again, I'll, I'll put a picture up about that. So it's only a small mine. The actual mine itself or it's actually technically a grenade. Um, it and it's not strong enough to knock out a tank itself, but when you use them combined in a, what they call a daisy chain, it can actually knock out a tank properly. Um, and the idea is the gap between Tripsrath Woods and Tripshath Village is a kill zone for any German armoured and thrust that comes down. So that's the idea behind it. But these mines are actually stacked in their crates and their pallets. And what they think happened, because there's no way of knowing, is they think that one of the, the sappers dropped one that had already been armed and it set off a chain of explosions down the line into the, the actual mine dump itself, and it, it killed everybody. The commanding officer of the uh, of the 4th Battalion was actually not far from it, and he saw the first explosion and took cover, and then thankfully managed to be missed. And the actual explosion missed him, but when he got up, he said he just couldn't believe it. There was just nothing left. The brigade commander was there. The brigade commander was with the commanding officer of the 4th Battalion, and he was uninjured, but he couldn't hear for a couple of days afterwards. He was actually deafened by the explosion.
1: No, they, they, they sent the guys back out quite quickly, didn't they?
0: Yeah. And in fact, the the, the minefield, they, they decided the best thing to do was just to carry on and do another one rather than, than sit around thinking about it for too long. And so later on that evening, another party was sent out from the sappers. And actually, men of Peter White's 10 platoon came out as well. They were a little bit reluctant to do so. And the minefield was completed by, I think, about three o'clock the following morning. Um, interestingly, the 4th Battalion lost three other men that day, actually lifting German mines there from the Pioneer platoon in the village of Triptracht. They were lifting up some shoe mines and they exploded and three men were killed. So it was a pretty, um, a pretty sad start to the year. I think already.
1: So so that's the end of this week. Should should we try and lift the lift lift the morale a little bit by looking at the beginning of this week? Yeah, I think
0: we probably should.
1: The the Lowlander starts this week. It's a bumper issue for the men, and the front page isn't our usual front page with a couple of columns of, of newsletter. What we've got is a proper cover. Again, we'll put this up in the show notes so people can see it. It's the traditional 52nd Lowlander Division sigil, the St Andrews Saltire, but it's been divided into four quadrants. And at the top, we've got we've got the arse of Scotsman hanging out the bottom of a cannon. On the right-hand side, we've got a Scotsman lying underneath a jeep. At the bottom, we've got a Scotsman on a gurney with a surgeon behind him. And on, in the left quadrant, that is definitely a sapper holding up a Bailey Bridge, is it not?
0: You can tell he's a sapper because, A, he's incredibly handsome and strong, and also he's lifting a a bailey bridge over his head, which, of course, all sappers have to be able to do.
1: What's in the middle? That's a man waving his arms, isn't it? So
0: that's a a military policeman, so that's a Royal Military Police who, let's be honest, all the good for is traffic control.
1: (laughs) And then at the top, in the lowlander... Um, uh, well, they wouldn't have known at the time they were they were putting it out. But we've got one of those T-shaped detonators forming the T of the lowlander. And mm-hmm. then we've got a wee Scotsman there on his back, prostrate, whiskey bottle in his mouth, up against the stanchion of the letter L. So yeah. that's uh, the kind of an indication of the way things usually go. But now we've brought the, the mood back a little bit. Should we dive in and find out what they're up to within the pages of the lowlander?
0: Yeah, I think that's a good idea. So do I. January 3rd, 1945. Red Army holds Relief Attempts Although the Germans still maintain a silence about their attempts to relieve the garrison of Budapest, last night's Moscow communique reveals that the attacks have now been continued for four days. Some initial successes were obtained, but yesterday the Red Army had all the German attacks and knocked out 51 tanks. The battle now raging in the northwest of Budapest is described as the most violent of the Hungarian campaign, and whilst it continues, the Red Army pushes further into the city itself. In street fighting yesterday, 2,400 prisoners were taken. It was announced from Moscow last night that Russia has decided to recognise the Polish Lublin Committee as the provisional government of Poland. It should be noted that we still recognise the Polish government in London, with whom the Soviets broke off diplomatic relations some time ago.
1: Now, I get Russia and Soviet Union conv- um, confused all the time, so it's hardly surprising that they did that thing <laughs> too.
0: Yeah.
1: But I'm, I'm, I'm completely distracted by the map above this article, which looks like it's been hand-traced on something that was syndicated in one of the newspapers back home. It's, yes. far, too, it's far too good to have just been drawn in in the field. But it's got all the railways on it. Yes. They do they have a big thing about the railways. When they're I they're, think we've got a
0: train spotter in our midst because they love to <laughs> they love to draw they love to draw it. up. it's a really 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 handy um, map. It shows you how Budapest is encircled, and then sort of twenty miles to the west of Budapest is the actual front line. Oh, and you also notice there's a little arrow there coming from uh, Cameroon towards uh, Bud- Budapest, and that is the German counterattack they're talking about. I like um, that you
1: think the only two um, pronounceable towns on that entire map
0: are the ones that we actually need to mention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, this is actually referring. This is the, the it's called the first German relief attempt, and the Germans are trying to relieve Budapest. It's a little bit of a uh, it's it's a bit of a pointless exercise because there's absolutely no way they're going to take it, and that's by the Fourth uh, SS Panzer Corps, um, and they got within about twenty kilometers of Budapest before as it mentions in the article that the, um, that the Russians, the, the, the Soviets, I should say, of course, it wasn't just the Russians, eventually uh, beat them back.
1: Things aren't looking good, are they?
0: No, not good at all, if you're German.
2: Obviously.
1: 1st of January, 1945. Bayonets for the Bosch. Now that von Hunstedt has committed the bulk of his forces in the Ardennes, he is trying by savage, probing counter-attacks at widely separated points on the Rhine and the Maas to prevent us drawing off reinforcements for the main battle and possibly to find other weak spots in our line. At Tripsrat, north of Geilinkirchen, he put in a particularly fierce attack with a couple of companies. In the words of a correspondent, they were met and defeated in toe-to-toe bayonet fighting by units of two of the most famous British regiments one bloodstained Scots Sergeant major remarked, it was just like a dockside fight in the old days.
0: Oh, we're really going for the stereotypes this week, aren't we? (laughs) Because jocks jocks love fighting, but it's actually true, they do like fighting, um, especially young soldiers. Um, Well, The interesting thing about this is it's reporting on what we mentioned last week, so on the the week ending the uh, 31st. So I talked about in and around Tripswrap there was two big attacks by the Germans, There was one on the 5th Battalion of KOSB, Kings on Scottish Borders, and there was a much more serious and larger scale attack against the Glasgow Highlanders who were actually stationed in Triptrack's Wood themselves. Mm. Um, and, And by the sound of things, so they're just starting to report it now, but of course, can't actually name the unit involved in the battle because of security reasons. But every single person in the division would have known about that. Yeah. Um, because the actual divisional frontage isn't that wide, so they would have heard it anyway. And if you read the war diaries of the other battalions at that time, all of them were put on alert. All of them were told to stand to because they could to get an attack there as well. So they, they would have known about this. So it's interesting it's actually getting reported. I love how they mentioned their correspondent. That just means somebody they know who was there. <laughs> um, but Yeah.
1: The other other thing is toe-to-toe bayonet fighting, hand-to-hand fighting you know about, because we hear about that all the time, but toe-to-toe bayonet fighting puts things into perspective,
0: doesn't it? Well, that is a specific reference to having a punch-up, isn't it? You go toe-to-toe with somebody, don't you? Um, Yeah, and of course, as I mentioned last week, this is done just before New Year's Eve, so I suspect there's an extra incentive for the jocks to win because nobody wants to be fighting like that on, on New Year's Eve. Very true. January 1st, 1945. Mosquitoes destroyed Gestapo headquarters in Oslo. Six Japanese divisions were wiped out on Leyte.
1: Now, this isn't mosquitoes like mosquitoes, 155 types of mosquitoes last week, is it?
0: Well, there were midges, but but yeah, we'll carry on.
1: OK, right. So, so this is mosquitoes attacking Norway. But if you go and Google this... All you end up with is the raids in 1942 until you sort of go sideways and then think this wasn't 1945 that it happened. It was 1944. Uh, of course. And, uh, of course. So so when you Google um, Mosquitoes attack Gestapo headquarters, Oslo, 1944, uh, the, the wonderful interwebs brings up a film on the IWM um, database of an RAF bomber command attack. It's great. It's about a oh. minute and a half long. We'll pop, pop that in the show notes. It was RAF 627 Squadron, and it was filmed by Flying Officer Buckley. There I do know. like a
0: film. It's good to post a film whenever we can. Um, yeah, and they're mosquito aircraft, aren't they? RAF mosquitoes. Yeah. They are indeed. January 1st,
1: 1945.
0: Poem. Crossing the slow, salute to the 52nd. The night was dark, the weather cold. They marched along to sights untold. In silence, marching through the night, determined men prepared to fight. They reached a barn, their rendezvous, where they split up their jobs to do. With B on the left and A on the right, they followed the tape and over the dike. Then into the boats to cross the stream, a hundred yards, but miles they seem. They crossed the water so black it stank and landed beyond a sour mud bank. Up to the knees, some to the chest, they fought all night with never a rest. Some comrades died on the spot they fell, but the rest fought on through a living hill. To beat the Hun, to win the day, and to give us the use of the Great Causeway. Men fought like heroes, their courage grand, and pulled their weight like a well-trained band. But some of those boys who fought so well have now a grave in this muddy hell. But though for them the hearts feel sore, their names will live forevermore. A better trained band no one had reckoned. Good luck, God bless you, the 52nd. Lance Corporal T.M.
1: Outstanding. How do you feel about war poetry?
0: Right, well, (laughs) I, uh, I don't understand poetry, I don't understand why you can't just write what you actually mean. <laughs> but, but that's not a bad effort. I'm going to say that. <laughs>
1: so, so, do you, under, do you understand the, the power of poetry, though? Because yes. where not not just the, like creating emotion, but where you would usually say the causeway. Mm-hmm. the the meter and the, the feet and the meter of this poem made you say to beat the hun to win the day and give us the use of the great causeway. yes intuitively see, so you know how to pronounce it i think poetry is okay some of it's awful but uh, some of it's really really clever
0: now so what my takeaway from this is i know which unit this is now so this is the sixth battalion the cameronians and they were actually tasked with crossing the Slough Channel.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, we
0: don't really talk about the Slough Channel because the Lowlander starts at the fifteenth of November, which is you know, after. Uh, yeah. yeah, almost two week- well two weeks after that. Uh, this is also where um, uh, one of the war dogs in the in the division won the Dickin Medal, uh, a dog, a war dog called Rifle McCann. He was crossing over with his handler uh, Lance Corporal Johnny Muldoon, and they their boat tipped over into the water. Muldoon couldn't swim and so Rifleman Can the dog grabbed hold of his neck and dragged him to the shore and saved his life so that's why I recognise this but it's interesting because there's lots of information like uh, we reached a barn which was a rendezvous now I wouldn't know that it's not written in the um, in the war diary so it adds a little bit more information to a story that I actually know fairly well
1: and it's taken him what four five months to put this poem together or perhaps he wrote it at the time we don't know
0: yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to know. I mean, we, I suppose there's no way of knowing. He, he obviously has a natural ear for a rhyme or a poem. Maybe that's what he did um, when he got a chance. I don't, we don't know.
1: Meeters. They're not rhymes. I mean, so so um, you're going to get blasted now with, with poetry science. Go I on metre of a poem is what tells you the rhythm and the speaking style. So the, the, the metre is named for its feet. Feet are the sets of syllables. Have you heard of something called iambic pentameter?
0: Yes,
2: I've heard of it. But... <laughs> yeah,
1: <okay>. so, <laughs> so iambic pentameter is um, a, a term describing the, the structure and the layer of a poem. It, you always describe it in two parts. The first part describes the syllables and the second part describes the number of those sets of syllables per line. So, okay. for example, iambic poetry has two syllable feet and it has the stress on the second syllable, which sounds like de-dump, 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 de dum. OK, so the first syllable's got
0: stress. Okay, you. you're right. I'm with
1: you now. The d- yeah, I got okay. the dumpty dumpty. OK, tro- 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 trochaic meter is, um, is that backwards. So the first syllable stressed. So you, then you go dumpty 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 dumpty. Pyrrhic meter, uh, let's see if, can, see if I can do examples. Um, that's still two syllables, but there's no emphasis. So, oh, blimey, Tennyson, when the blood creeps and the nerves prick. None of those syllables are actually stressed. Going then you've got there are only a couple of more, don't panic. Then you've got Spondy, which is the reverse of Pyrrhic poetry. And and that one's fairly unusual. So Shakespeare used to use spondy metre quite a bit. He'd go cry, cry, Troy Burns, or else let Helen go. That's Troilius and Cressida, Then you've got anapestic meter. Which is three right. syllables, okay?
0: Am I meant to be making notes at this point?
1: It, very definitely. So, and now, hang on a second. There's a link here because I can do um, an example of anapestic from the Low Countries. So, from Ghent, how they brought the good news by Browning is anapestic. It's I sprang to the stirrup and Yoris and he I galloped, Dirk galloped, we galloped all three. So that's three syllable.
0: Got you, right? I'm with all you only Forward. two
1: more dactylic poetry. <laughs> okay, is uh, three-syllable feet, but uh, the, 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 there are two unstressed syllables. So it's, charge of the Light Brigade is dactylic, so half a league, half a league, half a league onward, all in the valley of death. And the last bit that you sort of want to know is the, the, the number of sets of feet. So the second half of the label, where you have iambic pentameter, this the second bit, the pentameter bit, talks about... Um, yeah, the, the, the number of feet per line so you have monometer is a poem that's only got one foot per line uh, dimeter is a poem that has two feet per line trimeter etc tetrameter pentameter hexameter heptameter etc etc so right. this so this would be trochaic tetrameter where it goes the night was dark the weather cold they marched along to sights untold de dum 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 got you did you fall asleep in that explanation?
0: No, no, no. no. I could have just done with you about 30 years ago when I was at school. <laughs> no, but it's interesting. I, 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 I mean, I, I, I know nothing about poetry. I'm obviously familiar with, I think everybody's familiar with uh, poetry of the First World War. So
1: Sassoon.
0: Sassoon and and, um, and Welford Owen and all the rest of it. I don't th- I don't think the Second World War is particularly known for its poetry at all, is it?
1: It's a shame actually because it improved, in my humble yeah. opinion. There are some half decent Second World War poems, but we won't go into that now.
0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, every day is a learning day when you listen to the Lowlander. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking bollocks there. What I was meant to say instead of Johnny Muldoon, it's Lance Corporal Jimmy Muldoon. Lance Corporal James Muldoon, 6th Battalion, the Cameroonians. Tuesday, the 2nd of January, 1945. The Commander in Chief. In a crowded hall, many members of the division recently had the privilege of hearing the Commander in Chief, Field Marshal Montgomery. Talk about the progress of the war. After commending our division on the Walkroom Battle and its more recent engagements, he said a word or two about leave. Despite the numbers of men involved and the vast organisation, nothing Hitler can do will stop us sending men who have been on the continent for six months back to the UK to spend a clear seven days in their homes. But, he added, we shall want you back and that's most important.
1: So I was distracted by the picture of Montgomery here.
0: Yes, it's it's in the same vein as uh um uh Lloyd George. Lloyd George, yeah, in that you know instantly who it is, but it also it looks very weird.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it, there's, a, there's it, a little illustration of Monty and he's got his, his tank beret on. It's very definitely him even from from fifty three. Bard like
0: features, yeah. It looks a little bit like the um the uh the baddie in the film Saw. If anybody's ever seen that film, I'll post a photo on Twitter later about that. It's not. It's not a very flattering picture, is it?
1: Oh, we could find some other pictures because I think there are some other pictures of this event, aren't there?
0: Yeah, there is. In fact, uh, this is. He's referring to uh, an investiture parade he did as well on the first of January. So people that had been awarded medals in the in fighting. Um, so there was a couple of military crosses, a couple of military medals, etc., dished out to members of the division.
2: Hello Sunray, this is Able Baker One. Message over. Uh, hello Able Baker One, this is Sunray. Send over. Uh, Sunray, Able Baker One here. New battlefield tour at Germany and Netherlands, October 2024. Over. Uh, Able Baker One, this is Sunray. Roger over. Uh, Sunray, this is Able Baker One. The tour will be following in the footsteps of Peter White and With The Jocks. Over. Uh, Baker One, this is Sunray. Sounds good, over. Say again, please. Uh, Sunray, this is Baker One. For more information, please go to www.walkingwiththejocks.co.uk. That's walkingwiththejocks.co.uk. Over. Becker one, Roger over. Uh, Sunray, roll me over in the clover, over. Ebelbecker one, this is Sunray. That's quite enough of that. Get off the net, please.
1: Wednesday, third of January, nineteen forty-four. Just for Goering. The golden oak leaves with swords and diamonds and the Knight's Cross of the Iron Cross. It reads like a jeweller's catalogue, but it's only the latest supreme award introduced by the Führer. So far, the only recipient has been an airman, but it's no doubt designed specially for any Bosch who has the guts to stand up to the lowland division.
0: (laughs) I have to say the German award system is rather confusing.
1: Well, this, this was a weird one anyway, because in theory, there are only uh, 12 of these um, badges, brooches, whatever they're, they're called, that were supposed to be issued. And they were supposed to be going to, to go out to anybody within the Wehrmacht, the Waffen SS or, or the auxiliary organisations mm-hmm. um, after an Axis victory. In practice, there was only one of these ever awarded. It's the Knights Cross with Golden Oak Leaves and Swords and Diamonds. And and it was it's to a particularly um, badass dive bomber pilot Stuka pilot called Hans Ulrich Rudel. Legend has it his his um, his crowning achievement was in September 1941, when yeah. when he was um, cluster humping the Soviet Baltic Fleet, basically. He targeted this this huge great warship, the Marat, and he came in um, above, thundered over into a top-down dive, cranked it back at the last second, released his bombs as though he's, it's like the A-Team meets the Joker on the Death Star, flew out in, in this cloud of flame, this gigantic explosion, because he'd ignited the ammunition stores, and he cracked her hull and sank her. Um, and it makes Douglas Bard look like Tinky Winky. He was a really yeah. bad dude. But they had to invent it to add to his knight's cross because there wasn't anything left in the book. So they came up with this, the, uh, it, the knight's it, cross with golden oak leaves, swords and diamonds.
0: It sounds like a child when a child has come up with drawn something and they're really excited about it. The golden <laughs> oak leaves with swords and diamonds and the knight's cross and the iron cross.
1: <laughs> exactly right. 6th of January,
0: 1945. Powder Hill Sprint. The winner of yesterday's powder hill sprint was R. Gordon, a young Edinburgh engineer. Half a yard separated the first and second. That's not strictly true. Uh, <laughs> go on.
1: <laughs> okay, so, so number one, it's not the powder hill, it's the powder hall sprint. Oh, okay. Uh, wait, wait, I know about this, right? Right. So it's um it's now called the New Year's Sprint. Heats are at Preston Pans. And the finals yeah. were at, yeah, at Musselboro Racecourse on New Year's Day because the Powder Hall Stadium isn't there anymore. It started as um, a, a, an amateur athletic event in 1870, but it was it was hugely popular. Crowds of upwards of 20, 25,000 people. So by 1944, its popularity had gained so much that bookies were making a lot of money on it. New Year, Hogmanay, et cetera, et cetera, it was quite a thing. There was a young lad from Edinburgh called Sammy Kane, who was playing for the juvenile Brufton uh, athletic team. Broughton, Brufton, however you want to pronounce it. You lot have weird football names yeah. He was spotted as being fairly quick on the pitch. He was a bit raw, a bit sort of elbows, and knees flailing. But the spotter asked him, had he ever run time trials? Um, and Sammy said, Well, no, not really, obviously in a an Edinburgh accent. And the spotter said, Well, how do you fancy doing some time trials against my brother who's training for the powder hall sprint? Now, Sammy would have known about the powder hall sprint, but the, the guy who asked him didn't mention the powder hall sprint at the time. He just said, Look, my my brother's doing some training, he's a bit of an athlete, you're yeah. on the pitch, we we have a go. And so Sammy said, Yeah, all right. Short version. A chap called George McKinley saw mm-hmm. him run. He took Sammy under his wing and taught him how to run properly, move his arms, and lift his knees and keep his head steady and stuff. Yeah, yeah. he timed yeah. the runs but never told him the results, and, and he barely mentioned Powderhall at all. Yeah, one night in training. Sammy spotted um, men in the bushes with binoculars that were bookies weighing him up for the sprint so he sort of caught one side and what's going on and George said yeah I'm going to enter you because you're not bad okay but you've got to keep it quiet so off they go on New Year's Day I mean th- these guys these young athletes used to train in balaclavas so that they wouldn't be spotted and that their form couldn't be gauged properly by the bookies En route to the stadium, they couldn't find his name on the form, and McKinley said, "Well, I'm not mentioning, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not entering you under the name Sammy Kane. I'm going to enter you under the name R. Gordon. Ah, okay. R, right. R is for Richard, my elder brother, and Gordon's for, um, for for my younger brother. So again, short version: Sammy. One is heat, and the next day he came in at five to two against the favourite by half a yard. First prize was a hundred quid." Plus three hundred pounds of the bookies' money too, and we've got a picture. I found a picture of Sammy crossing the finish line. So, oh, um, fantastic! That would be really good.
0: So, I think. Um, I mean, I'm assuming. I mean, certainly the Royal Scots, which is the, which is an Edinburgh battalion, they would have known about the powder hole sprint. Powder everybody, Hall sprint. Sorry,
1: known. everybody would have known about the powder hall ah,
0: sprint. Ah, okay. Brilliant. And finally, for this week's Thought for the Day, we go to the 6th of January, 1945. For God's sakes, if you should be so lucky as to get sight of the enemy, get as close to them as possible. Do not let them shuffle with you by engaging at distance, but get within musket shot if you can. Lord Hawk,
1: 1780. So do you know who Lord
0: Hawk was? Not a clue, as per usual.
1: But do you know what? Do you know, Well, hang on a second. You understand what that all meant, though,
0: didn't you? Yeah, no, no for once, I've actually got thought for the day. It, it basically means, you know, get as close to the enemy as possible and engage them, and then they can't bugger off, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, Hawk, Lord Hawk was Admiral of the Fleet. And what he's talking about here is uh, this is when he charged into Quiberon Bay in 1759. He was after the French fleet. Quiberon Bay is sort of full of um, like rocks and bits and pieces. And instead mm-hmm. of sort of ho- hovering around the, the, the outside of the bay, he followed the French fleet in and used them as a pilot and um, engaged at close oh. quarters and sorted them out. That was the Marshal Comte du Conflon who was in charge of the
0: That's fleet. That's not a real name, is it? it-
1: is, honestly, that's like
0: "allo allo" came up with the name.
1: <laughs> the Marshal Comte de Conflans, but um, the 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 nice bit about um, Hawke's quote is actually the bit that comes after that. Okay. This is always the way the, the the army education branch they kind of cut things off halfway through, yeah? They through. do, don't they? So, so what he said was, "Do not let them shuffle with you by engaging at a distance, but get within musket shot if you can. That will be the way to gain great honor and will be the means to make the action decisive."
0: Oh, well, that's a bit more punchy, isn't it? It is indeed. Yeah, that's good. Shall we well, end on that today? Yeah, I think we probably should. I think um, I think that's us for another week.
1: All right, let's see you this time.
0: Uh-huh. All right then, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Lowlander. The Lowlander was written, produced and presented by Andy Acheson and Meryn Walters. This was a hellish good production and now the classified football results for the week commencing the 1st of January 1945 English League Cup qualifying competition. Bath City, four, Aberaman six. Birmingham, five, Coventry, one. Bradford, four, York City, two. Burnley, two, Blackpool, nil. Bury, three, Oldham, one. Chester, two, Port Vale, three. Chesterfield, three, Notts County, one. Crew two, Wolverhampton three. Doncaster six, Lincoln one. Everton two, Bolton one. Gateshead one, Hartlepool two. Grimsby four, Sheffield Wednesday one. Halifax one, Manchester City one. Hull City one, Bradford City three. Legionated Nell, Barnsley, 1. Lovells 1, Cardiff Nil. Manchester United 1, Huddersfield nil. Mansfield 2, Leicester 2. Newcastle 5, Middlesbrough 1. Northampton 2, Walsall 1. Nottingham Forest 1, Derby County, 1. Preston North End 1, Accrington 2. Sheffield United nil, Rotherham one. Southport nil, Tranmere nil. Stockport two, Liverpool three. Stoke two, Wrexham two. Sunderland one, Darlington one. Swansea one, Bristol City two. West Bromwich Albion one, Aston Villa three. English League South, Brighton 3, Luton 2, Chelsea 4, Charlton 0, Crystal Palace 0, Fulham 2, Melwall 0, Brentford 0, West Ham 4, Portsmouth 0, Queen's Park Rangers 3, Arsenal 2, Reading 3, Clapton Orient 1, Tottenham 4, Southampton nil. Watford, one, Aldershot, three. Scottish Southern League. Airdrie, three, Queen's Park, three. Celtic, six, Morton, one. Falkirk, two, Hearts, two. Hibernian, four, Albion Rovers, one. Motherwell, 0, Rangers, four. Partick Thistle, three, Hamilton, one. St Mirren 2, Clyde 3, Third Larnock 0, Dumbarton 2, Scottish Northeast League, Arbroath 0, East Fife 1, Dundee 5, Falkirk 1, Wraith Rovers 5, Dunferman 2, Rangers 5, Dundee United 1.
1: That's a lot of football.
0: That's a lot of football. <laughs>